Good morning. My name is Brian, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along on the screen uh, or in the journal um, or on the YouVersion app. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Thanks, Brian. As mentioned already, we're, uh, we're starting a new series uh, called Illuminated. Illuminated, and uh, this morning, uh, this uh, message is entitled Speaking. Speaking. Um, I remember uh, one of the very first times I went camping with my father. We were up in the Adirondacks, and uh, we had set up the camp pretty late. We had gotten there later than we anticipated. And I remember being excited that it was the, like, kind of the first time that I could have some responsibility around what was mine versus what was, like, the family's. <clears throat> Sorry. <coughs> Derek, do you mind grabbing me a water? I feel like I'm going to continue to cough for some reason. Um, so, I remember very distinctly that I was excited that I had a flashlight. Uh, it's funny how, as you're getting older, certain things that feel like a sense of responsibility. And so I thought, like, I have my own flashlight, and I'm going to go through. And I, I, I had to, to find something. I don't remember what the something was, but I had a, a backpack, a hiking pack, and we're in the tent that we had just set up. And I'm looking for it, and I have kind of this little pen flashlight, and I'm uh, trying to look for this item, whatever it was. And uh, my dad, I remember him saying... Um, do you want me to turn on my flashlight? Do you need some help? I was like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I have my own light. You know, like, come on. <laughs> I'm a big guy here. I have my own light. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm looking around. I can't find this thing. And I'm starting to get frustrated. And if you've ever been frustrated in the summertime in a tent, you know it just continues to escalate. Like you start sweating, and then you're annoyed that you're sweating, and it feels stuffy. And I'm looking through the bag. I'm like, I can't find it. I can't find it. And uh, my dad's like, just let me turn my light on. And I was like, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. And so then finally, he just turns on his flashlight. And it was like the sun had come on. It was like, boom, like I, I swear it made a noise. My dad had a mag light like the size of my forearm, right? And so he's like, I turn around, he's holding this thing like, you know, and uh, it lights up the whole tent. And I was like, yeah, I can see now. Like, holy cow, I can see everything. And uh, it's interesting because this idea of illumination, this idea of lighting something up, we can have a sense, thanks so much, we can have a sense that we have clarity on something until all of a sudden we get actual clarity on something. You know, when all of a sudden there is complete illumination. And uh, I just remember being struck by that so much that if you, you know, fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, we were hiking up in the Adirondacks and actually uh, the lead team went on a on a couple high peaks, and uh, it was all fun and games on the front end, but it quickly turned into a lot of work, and we knew that we were going to come out potentially in the dark, 
And uh, as we were prepared with, uh, with headlamps and stuff like that, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the people had kind of injured themselves, Karen, and uh, <laughs> you thought I was going to like spare her embarrassment, but uh, the, the, uh, the children's pastor was there and she had fallen and injured her knee, and so she was, uh, she was limping along. I still think she was faking. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm just hoping she doesn't listen to this. Uh, so... And, uh, <laughs> And I know she will. Hi, Karen. Um, so she's towards the end of the hike here. And, uh, and Eric had been helping her out up until this point. And so we've got the last two miles or so. And so I said, here, you can hold onto my arm and we can hike out together. And I had a headlamp on. And so um, I'm kind of lighting the path. And as we're lighting the path, I'm telling her to watch her feet all the more so because she's kind of injured. And so she's holding onto my arm just to stabilize herself. And as we're walking along, all of a sudden we start to hear uh, some noise to the right of us. And if you've ever been up in the Adirondacks in the dark, you know that can be kind of freaky. And, um, and so we just keep on walking, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe she just doesn't even hear it. I don't care. It doesn't sound too big, but it's like pretty big. And, uh, and so we're walking along, and she goes, is something else out there? I'm like, yeah, I think something else is out there. And she's like, so what should we do? I was like, run! No, just kidding. Because <laughs> I'm just thinking, I can outpace her. She's got a knee injury. <laughs> what? <laughs> she's not making it out of here. <laughs> Come on, Karen. <laughs> um, no, so uh, I was like, yeah, there's, there's definitely something to our right. She's like, what do you think it is? I was like, I don't know. Let's just stop walking for a second. So we stop, and all of a sudden we hear crunch, crunch, stop. I was like, yeah, there's definitely something over there. And so we start walking again, and uh, she's like, is this something we should be scared about? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Uh, my wife and Eric and Deidre are behind us, so <laughs> they'll get whatever's coming. No, just joking. And so I was like, no, I think we're going to be all right. And uh, as we're going along, I said, this is what we're going to do. I'll just shut my light off, and then I'll look to the right, and I'm going to turn my headlight back on. So we're going to see whatever it is. And she's like, Okay. I was like, well, don't you want to know what it is? She's like, kind of. I was like, all right, so we're going to just kind of come to a stop. I'm going to shut my light off. I don't want you to get freaked out. I'm going to look to the right, turn it on, and then we'll see what it's there. She's like, okay. So we're going along. We stop. I shut the light off. There's that moment of like complete darkness, and something jumps out of the... No, I'm just joking. (laughs) No, it's complete dark. And so I look to the right, and I turn on the headlamp, and there's a bear. No, that's a lie. I just wanted to see you guys all be like... (gasps) I'm like completely just making stuff up. And every time you guys like, huh, huh, huh. it's kind of entertaining. It wasn't a bear. It was a dude with a machete. No, that's a joke too. It was a bear with a machete. What in the world? All right, I'm done with all that. Uh, we turned around, it was a deer. And so everybody's like, oh, that's way boring. Um, which we were grateful that it was boring in the moment. Uh, we look over, there's just a deer. And I didn't know that like deer walk around in the dark at night. Seems like a bad idea. I'm a deer. Maybe I just lay down somewhere and hide from the bear, but whatever. And uh, in either case, there's a deer staring at us and then it kind of runs off and we're like, okay, and we turn back to the trail and we make our way out. And so uh, the reason why I share those stories with you this morning and the, the, the focus of what it is that I'm talking about is that vision is limited to how illuminated your path is, right? Your vision, your capacity to see, your capacity to understand, to comprehend the situation is limited to how illuminated your path is. If we're in complete darkness, we're gonna stumble, we're gonna struggle. If, if it's illuminated, we have clarity, we have sight, 
We know exactly where we're headed. We know what's going on. And so the question that I want you to consider as we move through the text this morning is this. What illuminates your life? What illuminates your life? And I know that that sounds kind of like a confusion, a confusing question because you might say, uh, the ceiling lights illuminate my life uh, or the sun illuminates my life. But I'm talking about what is it in your life that provides you clarity on the vision for your life? What is it that illuminates your path, that directs things? If you can only see and have vision as far as something is illuminating, what is the thing, what is the person that actually gives you clarity and vision to your life? Here's the reality. As humans, Christian or not, we all have something that we're using to direct our path. If it's your career, then when you lose a job, you kind of freeze. If your job is the thing that gives you purpose, that gives you value, that gives you direction, if you have a career path and you've met with a career coach and you have clarity, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to accomplish that, I'm going to accomplish that. Well, if all of a sudden something goes wrong to disrupt that path, that rhythm, that clarity, you're frozen. You see, you freeze because your world suddenly loses the direction it had prior. And I'm not saying that direction is bad by any stretch of the imagination. The question is, what is it that you're using to get that direction? Is it a a little pencil flashlight that you're like, oh, I'm moving ahead. Look at me. This is so cool. And you're functioning in this lesser light environment. If it's a relationship, a person, then when you experience some form of, of heartbreak, suddenly it's like, Your entire life grows dark. You're not sure what that relationship was about, what the next step is. How do I move forward from here? We had so many plans. We had so many thoughts. We had so many ideas. And now all of a sudden, there's a lack of clarity. Why? Because that which was illuminating your life is suddenly no longer present. You name the situation. I can go through all the different examples from from sports to a sense of belonging with friends and so on. What is it that illuminates your life? We have moments, days, even seasons of feeling lost because the thing or the person that was our source of illumination has been revealed as a poor source. There's really two typical reactions when we find ourselves in this situation. And no one in the room is excluded from the reality of of falling victim to a lesser form of light, a lesser form of illumination. The first option, the first response that we'll have sometimes is that we freeze. It feels like our life is on hold. Suddenly we're locked up. We were moving along, everything made sense because of that job, because of that possession, because of that relationship, whatever it was, it was very clear. Then all of a sudden, when it comes crashing down, we just, we lock up, we're frozen. What's next? Where do we go from here? How do we regain clarity? It seems like in this moment, everybody else in our life is just moving past us. They're growing up faster, they're more responsible, they have more things than us, all of that stuff. You look at Instagram and you're just furious. Like, why does everybody else have life together? (laughs) Why am I locked up? The second reaction that we have is that we strive. We start to strive and stumble forward until we find something or someone that seems to provide us light. We just stumble forward. 
Because the idea of being still, it's too paralyzing, it's too difficult, it's too painful. And so we just move forward in the darkness, in the, in the variation of a lesser source of light until we get some form of clarity. Why is that? Why do we have these reactions? I think it's because we want to live life on purpose, right? I mean, it's not rocket science. At the end of the, the day, we just want our life to matter. We don't want to go through the motions and find out that, that in some way we missed out on the fullness of life. We want to know that our one and only life matters, that it can be focused, that we can have clarity, that we can move forward. And that brings us to this morning's text, the letter to the Hebrews. We know the, the letter was written to a Jewish community that were uh, con- converts to Christianity. And that'll be important because of some of the things that we'll discover as we move through the text and even this series as we cover the first two chapters of Hebrews. So we have a, a Jewish community that has converted to Christianity, and it was written sometime before the destruction of the, uh, the Jerusalem temple. Uh, the Romans destroyed the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. And so at some point prior to that is where we have uh, the book of Hebrews being written. As for the author, uh, we don't actually know. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. And I don't know if that's uh, because the, the Lord has limited our knowledge on that so that we don't come with a preconceived idea as to how serious we should take it or what that looks like. We know that it's a part of the canon of scripture. And so we don't know who the author is. In fact, the preaching and teaching team has a lot of fun uh, with conjecture as to who the author might be (laughs) discussing the possibilities. Um, So we don't know who wrote it, but the letter as a whole is extremely theologically deep. It's it's very uh, Christocentric, very much about Christ, very Christ-centered. In fact, uh, it instructs all Christians on how to read the Old Testament in proper relation to Christ. And so some say that actually the letter to the Hebrews is, uh, is rather challenging to understand. And part of the reason is because it requires a knowledge of the Old Testament. And so we're really looking forward to this journey together as we kind of unpack the, the depth and the richness of this book and we allow it to illuminate our lives. So let's go ahead and unpack uh, the text this morning. I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. It reads like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through, through whom also he created the world. So something profound is happening in these open, uh, opening verses here. Uh, we need to realize that the person and work of Jesus Christ can only be fully understood correctly when we realize that he's the center of history's Uh, meta-narrative, that he is uh, a part of history from the beginning to the end. Verse 1 starts with long ago. Long ago, what what I mean by meta-narrative, what I mean and what the author means in beginning this text with long ago is that Jesus doesn't enter into existence for the purpose of saving humanity. In other words, I think sometimes, uh, depending on your exposure to Christianity, to the church world, um, it's almost like uh, Jesus doesn't really come into the picture until he's born in a manger. Like We don't know who Jesus is until all of a sudden uh, Christmas time comes. But the reality is that 
God's saving work through Jesus begins at the very beginning of creation. Long ago, prior to the New Testament, God spoke. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. By the prophets. And this is a, a reference to uh, the Old Testament upbringing, the fact that these, uh, these Jewish people, these people with Jewish roots, are actually very used to, to functioning according to the Pentateuch, according to the Old Testament. And so the author of Hebrews is validating the fact that God spoke via their fathers, via the prophets. But he goes on to say that God's not done speaking. It's not the final word. He says, but, the beginning of verse two, but it's not the final word. It's not simply that God has spoken through the prophets, but in these days, the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Listen, God is still speaking. God is still speaking. That has profound, direct impact into our lives this morning. And I realize it sounds kind of mystical to be like, God's speaking. I don't hear him. How do you hear God? Like, that sounds creepy. I don't know about you, but like, I had people in my life growing up where I was like, I'm not sure they're hearing God. I mean, they hear something. <laughs> I'm just not sure it's God. <laughs> what else did the voice tell you? You know, like, so this idea that God speaks today, it, it sounds like, like mysticism. It sounds difficult. It sounds like if you hear from God that you're somehow super spiritual, but I want to demystify it. I want to explain to you that God is still speaking today in very practical ways. And that, in fact, you've probably heard the voice of God and haven't realized it. I don't mean the audible voice of God, although maybe you've heard the audible voice of God, but if you haven't realized it, that's an entirely different confusing moment. (laughs) Yeah, there's this booming voice I hear from time to time. Not sure what it is. (laughs) It says in the beginning of verse 2, but in these last days. These last days, what that means and what the, the author of Hebrews is talking about is saying from the moment in which Hebrews is penned, this letter to the Hebrews is penned all the way up until the end of time. These last days, from this moment all the way until the end of time, God speaks. How? He has spoken to us by his son, is what it says. By his son. So there's some doctrines that are revealed in these four, these front four verses to Hebrews. One of the doctrines is revelation. God reveals himself. And so that's what I'm saying. When we talk about this idea of hearing from God, we turn it only into the way we hear verbally. But we also hear in, in different ways if we think about it. Um, that's how uh, people that have loss of hearing or less hearing are able to function in today's society. There's other ways to hear, to comprehend, to understand. And God is revealing himself. God has revealed himself in nature, right? The beauty of nature. God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in the beauty of creation, It's interesting that when we talk about creation, we often are talking about things outside. Like when we say, oh, God is revealing himself through creation, we think he's revealing himself through the creation of plants and animals and and water and sky and all of that, but we're part of creation. And so God is revealing himself through us. So that means that we can actually hear from God by hearing from other Christ followers. Now, sometimes 
you shouldn't be listening to other Christ followers <laughs> just to get the record straight. Like, but he told me, like, wow, he has some jacked up theology. So I'm not talking about just taking information from other people that proclaim to be Christians. I'm talking about the idea of taking information from other people that claim to be Christians and putting it against Scripture. If we put it against scripture and it resonates, then we've heard from God. We've heard from God. He's revealed himself through creation, through another person. God reveals himself in scripture in a very forthright and obvious way, as we're talking about today. God reveals himself via the Holy Spirit. And these are moments where we have impressions upon our our spirit, upon ourselves internally that are beyond ourselves. And again, I know it sounds mystical, but let's demystify it. I'm a rather cerebral person, and so sometimes when I engage uh, Christendom and I think about the things of God and I engage theology, sometimes it's like uh, I want it to fit into a box. I want to understand and kind of be able to take its components apart and realize how I can connect it to my life. So, okay, I'm going to hear from God. Show me how. (laughs) How exactly do I hear from God? I can remember a moment I was driving down uh, a, somewhat of a country road, a back road. I was coming home uh, from work at the time. I was probably about 18 years old. And uh, as I'm coming down the road, it's a huge snowstorm. I grew up just outside of Syracuse, and so that was rather typical. Uh, it was July. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, although it's possible. And uh, it, was, it was a huge storm, like huge, like I shouldn't have even been out on the road. And as I'm going down the road, there's, a, there's this van that uh, assists the elderly and uh, people with, uh, with disabilities. It kind of um, one of those mobile vehicles that helps people. I can't remember the exact company, uh, but it was stuck in a ditch. It was stuck in a ditch right outside of this driveway. And so I'm literally going by, and I remember looking out. I even see the dude and everything. I can picture it in my mind. I look by, and I literally said out loud, that's unlucky. And I just keep on going, right? I'm like, stay on the road. And I felt this impression upon me, like, go help that guy. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go help that guy. Like, I don't have snow boots on. I don't have, like, I'm not prepared. Listen, we're talking about my safety here, you know, like kind of all that rationalization. Now, you might say, is that really, you know, a leading of the Holy Spirit? Like, that just sounds like you're about to pass somebody up and you feel like a dirtbag, so you feel compelled to go help someone. Well, bear with me. The story continues. And so I decide I'm going to help this guy. And so I put my four ways on and I, I start backing up and it's virtually a whiteout and I'm just creeping back. And the whole time I'm thinking, seriously, I don't want to get out in the freezing cold. I don't want to end up in the ditch. I'm just trying to come up with all these reasons to just drive away. And I continue to feel the sense that I need to be there. And so I open the door and I get out. I walk up and I go, hey, you need some help? <laughs> Why would I ask that? Why? No, I'm good. Just, I'm trying to park in the ditch. And I'm only halfway in, so, uh, but I'm going to get there. Don't worry. <laughs> need some help? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> All right. And so I'm kind of giving him some directions, some thoughts on what it is that we can do. And I'm trying to push this vehicle and snow's kicking up on me. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to move this van. Like, what am I doing here? How is this a divine appointment in any way? And I'm thinking, why in the world have I stopped here? And as I'm kind of pushing it, all of a sudden, this, this van stops on the other side of the road. And I'm like, well, there's another sucker that can help me, you know? <laughs> the door opens, and I can't even see the guy getting out of the vehicle because of the snow. It's coming down so hard. And so this image is kind of walking towards us. And uh, it's a bear with a machete. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> if you came in late, check out the podcast. So, uh, in, in either case, <laughs> um, he... He's walking towards me. Oh, I have such a problem. Um, and so he's walking towards me, and as he gets closer, all of a sudden I hear this voice, hey, you need some help? I'm like, idiot, of course I need some help. <laughs> like, I kind of asked the same thing. Then I realized, wow, that voice sounds familiar. It's my dad. And uh, my dad's standing there. I'm like, dad? And he's like, oh, Claude. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I was just driving down the road and I saw, you know, this guy stuck here and I just, I started to drive by and I just felt like, man, I I have to stop. I was like, okay. And I was like, maybe he raised me wrong. Maybe this is a condition that we have where we just have to help people when we see them in the ditch. This isn't God at all. This is just a dumb idea. And uh, so my dad's sitting there helping me and, uh, we're trying to push this vehicle out, and we finally get it right up onto the driveway, and this guy gets out, and he's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, guys, I'm not kidding you. I'm stuck. I'm going to freeze to death. I'm about to run out of gas. I have somebody special needs in there that needs to eat. They're in desperate, desperate shape. And he goes, and I'm literally just sitting there, and I'm like, listen, I don't even know if you're a real God, but if you're real, make somebody pull over. He's like, so I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'm starting to think about maybe there's a God. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so, uh, so what made you stop? I was like, well, I just felt kind of impressed to stop. And so, I don't know, maybe there is something to that whole God thing. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, cool. Where are you coming from? I'm like, oh, I'm coming from work. He's like, awesome, man. And so he starts talking to me, finds out I want to go to college, that I want to be a pastor. And he's like, whoa, you're kind of freaking me out. He's like, yeah, I pray. And all of a sudden, this dude that's going to be a pastor stops. And I'm like, yeah, I know, crazy. I'm thinking the whole time, wait till he finds out who else is here, you know? And so, and he's like, he's like, so man, so how about you? Like, do you just stop or what? And he's like, well, it's crazy. I was going down the road, just felt like I should pull over. He's like, wow. He looks at me, he's like, it must be like a God thing, right? Uh, he's like, so uh, you, you live around here? He's like, actually, I'm his dad. He's like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like, so you just saw him on the side of the road? He's like, no, I didn't see him. Just felt like I had to stop. He's like, so how close are we to your house? Like, not that close, man. He's like, really? Like, yeah, kind of freaky, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. And he's like, I don't know what that could be. It's like, maybe it's God. And he's like, freaking me out. And I just remember this whole moment. We had a kind of a spiritual conversation on the side of the road, freezing, off, freezing our faces off. And as we stood there, I realized maybe this is a divine appointment. Just maybe God speaks to us in ways that we marginalize, in ways that we push down these senses within our spirit that maybe we should do this. And you know what I'm talking about? The difference between just being polite and, and, and doing something that is actually contrary to your flesh, right? Everything in my flesh was like, keep driving, leave this dude alone. Like, he'll be fine. He works for a company. They probably have a tow truck. But there was something that I just couldn't get over within my spirit. God speaks to us. He speaks via the Holy Spirit. Impressions on our life. And I want to tell you one more time that when we have these moments, we should put them against Scripture. Otherwise, we can get kind of willy-nilly with some ridiculous decisions. And I'm not, I'm not pushing for that. I'm not advocating for being super spiritual, creepy, feet-never-touch-the-ground people. I'm talking about grounded people that consider that maybe God is speaking to us. God is leading us to do something. 
the most clear way that God reveals himself is through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The representation, God in person, in flesh, we read about in scripture. God is speaking and revealing. If we allow him, he'll illuminate our lives. He'll illuminate our lives. He'll give us direction. He'll clear our path. We'll make decisions where we think we should go this way and suddenly we have a sense we should go that way. That's illumination. You see, when we're living our life with this tiny little pencil flashlight, just seeing the next step in front of us, being like, I got it, I'm good. No, I'm good, I'm good. And then all of a sudden, my father just, boom, lights up everything. I want to tell you that it's a word picture of what it is that God will do to our lives if we'll permit him. If we're going to just eke out our existence, next step in front of the other, but the God of heaven wants to radiate our lives, bring our lives purpose. If we'll allow him, he will illuminate our lives. Or we will suffer from tunnel vision with a lesser light. That's what happens, you know. When you have a lesser light, it's called tunnel vision. Because it's, it's like that's all you can focus on. is this tiny little part that you can see. Everything else that is going around is completely lost to you. Some of us live our one and only life with tunnel vision. Just a lesser light that we pursue at every turn. Goes on and says, he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things. The heir of all things. Now, to us, that may not have profound impact, but remember the original audience so that we can grasp the weight of what's being said. In Hellenistic Judaism, the oldest or the only son would be given full authority, right? And so he would be declared the heir at a certain point in his life. It wasn't a default thing. It didn't just happen. It had to be a decision, a moment where basically he had come into his own and his father felt like, you know what? You are going to be the recipient of everything that is mine is now yours. You're fully an heir of mine. What that would mean is to be formally invested in everything. It means at that point to do business with the son is the same as doing business with the father. And so what's happening here is the author of Hebrews is saying, you know the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob? The God of the Pentateuch that you worship? He's spoken to us not only by the prophets, but by his son, who is also an heir. Now, to do business with Jesus is to do business with God. It's a profound impact. That's a game changer. The author is saying that the promise of the Old Testament Messiah is fulfilled through Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, John 14 tells us that we can only know the Father through the Son. That the only way we can have a relationship with God is if we would surrender and submit our lives to Jesus the heir of all things. And then it goes on. Through whom, through whom also he created the world. So he created the world through his son. Think about that for a second. Listen, Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but he's also the agent of creation. He's the beginning and the end. God didn't didn't just simply bring Christ into existence in a manger. Jesus, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed from the beginning of time. Hebrews connects the doctrines of redemption and creation right here. The God who creates is the God who redeems. You might sit back and be like, right, he's God. Like, it just tumbles off your lips, right? Okay, so yeah, he created things and and he redeems things. These are things that maybe if you've been in a church world for any amount of time, you understand. But do you really functionally understand what that means? Because you see, if he created you, if God is the God that creates, then he knows you. Like knows you. Not the public you. Not the you that we see right now, like the you-you, like the jacked up, messed up, secret you. He knew you from the moment that you were knit together in your mother's womb. That God is a God of creation. He has created you. He intimately knows you. He knows the thoughts that you have. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the the brokenheartedness. He sees the tears that you think no one sees. He knows the lies that you whisper to yourself. He knows the lies that you speak over others. He knows you because he created you. If you'll allow him, he'll redeem you. God of creation is the God that redeems in full knowledge of how messed up you are. He says, I love you. Yeah, yeah, no, God, like if you really knew me, duh, I do know you. I created you and I love you. As broken and as messed up as you are, I'll lay down my life. I'll pay the penalty that you deserve for the sin of your life. I will walk to a cross and lay down my life because of my love for you. The God who creates is the God who redeems. That's profound. Because it doesn't simply end with a redemption story. He redeems you because he has a plan and purpose for you. He sees potential in you. He's gifted you. In fact, we talk about 1 Corinthians, how God puts inside you the gifts and then he gives you the power and ability to function within the gifts. We have a purpose and a plan for our one and only lives. And God has created us. He has redeemed us. And he's saying, listen, don't get tunnel vision. Don't settle for a lesser light. Allow me to illuminate your life with the fullness of who I am, with the full radiance of God so that you can move and be more than a conqueror, not for the purpose of gathering possessions or living in a place of authority or feeling good about the influence you have. Those things don't matter. They're so low compared to the reality of the fullness of life. When we're fully known and fully loved, And God himself is stretching us to become a better version of who we are. You see, because verse 3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God. Verse 3 and 4, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Exact imprint. He's the exact imprint 
means nature. He's the same nature. He's the same character. He's the same. No human son is an exact representation of their father. What we see here is Hebrews starting to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. This is a theologically rich, rich book. In four verses, we're just cranking out doctrine after doctrine where the the author is starting to say, listen, we need to have this basis of the reality of the supremacy of God and the supremacy of Jesus so that we can understand what it is that God has done and who it is that we can be. One commentator states, the author of Hebrews is clear. We only understand Christ rightly when we see him in a redemptive historical context as the climax of God's revelation and in a theological context as the second person of the Trinity. It's not one or the other. It's both and. So Jesus being fully God and fully man does what? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The authority and the power vested in that statement alone is more than our simple minds can comprehend. That literally, Jesus is upholding the entire universe by his word. We can't comprehend that type of power. We can't comprehend that type of authority. He upholds creation by his word. And after making purification for our sins. Purification is a, is a super important word in this grouping of verses. It may not appear that way, but we have to remember, again, the context. Purification is an important Greek word because it's a word that's only used for priestly work. And so it connects Jesus to the salvation system of the Old Testament. It's saying, listen, he purified. You see, Jewish people, they would have to at this point, if they were good Jewish people, they would have to go and and pick out uh, certain types of animals and bring them without spot or blemish to a priest. And the priest was the only one that had the right to purify them for their sin. And it involved a blood sacrifice. And so the book of Hebrews is saying, listen, Jesus was the blood sacrifice. He is your priest. He is your high priest. We'll talk more about that in future weeks. But the thing that is interesting that goes on says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, just so you know, he's the priest, but he also sits at the right hand of God, which means he's your king. He's the priest and the king. That's unheard of. It's unheard of in Old Testament times. Two entirely separate roles, equal in authority on some level, depending on the circumstance and the situation. But the author is saying, listen, he is your priest and he is your king. He sits at the right hand, having completed the work that was necessary. We're going to talk more about that because there's a lot there in future weeks. But verse 4 talks about having become a much superior to the angels is the name he has inherited, the name of Lord is more excellent than theirs. And part of the reason why the author focuses on this is that during this time, um, there's a a lot of uh, mysticism. People are enamored with spirituality, this idea of personal angels. 
And so that there were personal angels that would follow them around and, and kind of this mysticism that was sort of um, a heresy that was kind of raising up. It's actually where we derive this idea that we have guardian angels. It's all the way back to, to this time in this time period. And, uh, and so the Hellenistic Jews are converted and they're saying, but wait, where does Jesus fit into the whole kind of ranking system of angels, angelic beings? And so they're saying, listen, make no mistake. His name is above all names. He has full authority of all heavenly bodies. The angels are in submission to him. Jesus is above. He is the Messiah and the Lord. So what does all this mean? What does all of this mean to us today? It means that Jesus Christ is supreme. It means that our lives can be illuminated with clarity and meaning and purpose. It means that you can exchange your lesser light source for the radiance of the glory of God. It means we don't have to be trapped to tunnel vision. We don't have to to go back and forth being thrown into what is it that I'm going to pursue? Where is it that I can find meaning? That if we would submit our lives to Jesus Christ in increasing ways, in ways where we allow God to be the radiant director of our lives, the full illumination, that we would actually be able to stop being frozen, stop being locked up, that when things go wrong, we can realize that we're living for a greater purpose. It means that you don't have to strive That when all of a sudden there's a moment of darkness or a lesser light goes out, you don't have to stumble around. It means that you can rest in the finished work of Jesus. Listen, (laughs) we live in a society that vacations pretty well, but doesn't rest very well. We don't understand the rhythm of rest. This idea of being silent before the Lord. Say, listen, I don't have to strive. This isn't about earning. It's not about proving. I'm not trying to to show God how good I am. I don't don't have to to earn his love. I don't have to, to somehow validate my existence on this earth. But I can rest in who God is. We often say around here that the text requires something from us. And so I want to ask you a question as you leave this place this morning. It's this. What will I rest this week in what Jesus has completed? Sorry. How will I rest this week? I was like, that's not the question. How will I rest this week in what Jesus has completed? How will I rest? It's a tough question, right? Because you're like, I don't know. We rest in what Jesus has completed. I think I'm doing that. How will you rest in what Jesus has completed? If Jesus is, in fact, supreme, if he is the second person of the Trinity, if he is the creator and the redeemer, if he's the beginning and the end, if he is the son of God, if he is the heir of God, if he upholds the entire universe by his word, 
If he is as powerful as we have just unpacked, how will you rest in that? Yesterday, I laid down on the the couch. Meredith was getting dinner together. She's a far better cook than I am. And she said, just lay down for a little bit while I get dinner together. I wasn't feeling super well. So I lay down on the couch, and my son's on the other couch across from me. I say, hey, bud, come here. And his eyes got all big, and he's like, oh, comes running over and grabs a blanket and pulls it over and snuggles right into me. And he just rested. We don't do that. We don't rest in our father. He was so content. He was so content that honestly, I was envious. (laughs) He just snuggled right in. Why? Because he's my son. And he wants to be in proximity to his father. Because he loves me and he knows I love him. Because he's known. Because even though he's misbehaved, because even though he makes mistakes, he knows that he'll never stop being my son. That he'll never stop being loved. And he can rest in that. Do you rest in that? Maybe this morning, your application is to actually surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe for you, resting means coming to the place within your life where you say, I'm striving so hard to to do life on my own. I just, I need to accept what Jesus has done for me. And allow him to be the Lord and leader of my life. Maybe for you this morning, rest looks like crossing that line of salvation. Saying, Lord, will you be the Lord and leader of my life? It can be that simple this morning. To pray a prayer in the quietness of your mind. Where you sit right now. I'm a sinner. You died for my sins. Would you be the Lord and leader of my life? If you pray that prayer, if you make that decision this morning, I'd love to have a conversation with you following the service to talk to you about next steps. If you would, for everyone in the room, just for a moment, maybe bow your heads or close your eyes. I don't want you to be distracted as the worship team makes their way forward. And I also don't want you to mentally check out because I want to talk to you about what else application could look like. Maybe for this morning, you've crossed that line of salvation. But for you, rest, resting in what God has done means to stop striving. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're striving. Maybe it means to wait on the Lord. To just stop making decision after decision and put into your life the rhythm of being contemplative. We often talk about this idea of silence. I got to tell you, I'll be completely transparent. This is a struggle for me. I feel like the idea of doing nothing is lazy. And so I literally feel like like lazy guilt or something if I just sit in God's presence. I want to challenge you. There's nothing more productive that you can do for your life than to be still before before God, to rest in him. What does it look like to have extended quiet time? 
I don't know where you are in your time with the Lord. I know that we provide devotions that you can interact with on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I don't know if that's a rhythm of your life, but maybe the application for you this morning is to, to just allow the, the extended time of silence. And I'll tell you, if you're a Christ follower at all, your extended time of silence is probably like, hmm, he's right. I should play some worship music and just be silent. No, I mean silence, no music. You're like, what? But then I'll think about things. <laughs> right. Maybe you have to offload your heart and your mind and just sit in the silence with a piece of paper and if something comes to mind, put the, the to-do list down and just offload it. It's amazing how there's these business incubators. These groups of people that will gather together with pieces of paper and they'll just be silent. And they'll be like, listen, allow creativity to just come about. <laughs> but we don't do that with our spirituality. Would you allow the God of heaven, the creator, the true creative, to whisper to your heart dreams that your life is too loud to hear? Listen to that. Your life is too loud to hear the dreams that God has for you. Would you be silent and allow the Lord to illuminate your life? Rest in him. Maybe it means journaling. Maybe it means writing down, who does God say that I am? And writing the truth over the lies that you whisper to yourself. Maybe it simply means keeping the Sabbath. A day where you surrender the busyness of your life. And then now allow God to just put wind in your sails. Vision to your life. Allow him to illuminate your life. Because he's speaking. He's speaking. The question is, are we listening? Let's rest in him.